Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. President Trump is out of the hospital, but questions remain about his health and how he's handling the pandemic. Plus, the outbreak of COVID-19 has sidelined the Joint Chiefs of Staff who are now under quarantine. And the city of Seattle now has no way of removing homeless encampments, even illegal ones. All of that coming up, but let's start with the president, who is already spinning half-truths and downright misleading, if not false, information about the virus. Joining us is ABC's Inez de la Catera. What did the president say? So the president, uh, once again, seeming to try and downplay COVID-19, which is a rather shocking turn of events, given that the president has just con- contracted COVID-19. And he himself was tweeting over the weekend that he now gets it, that he felt he had learned about COVID-19 from getting in it and that he understands it. But the president now comparing COVID-19 to the flu using statistics that are frankly just wrong. And it's... Um, Interesting to look at, you know, the president's rhetoric when this first all began. That was something the president was doing then. He was comparing COVID-19 to the flu, saying it would be nothing. And it was something we'd heard from the president's allies as as well. They would also talk about how there was nothing to fear. Coronavirus would be would be just like the flu. Here we are seven months later and more than 210,000 Americans dead from COVID-19. And the president still comparing COVID to the flu and really trying to downplay the virus. But that's not the only thing that was misleading that the president said or posted. We're hearing that Facebook removed a similar to post to what was on Twitter. And even though they're doing that, they're also allowing the Trump campaign to run ads that suggest the president may now be immune. That's right. And that's been really interesting to, to see that unfold as well. The president you know, immediately after returning to to the White House, his campaign released a highly produced video of the president uh, get, getting off of Marine One. There was Marine One landing on the South Lawn, dramatic music in the background. The president then, uh, you know, kind of waving to saluting Marine One and, and then uh, making comments on camera. So uh, it seems to be that this whole thing was kind of orchestrated for political reasons. Uh, and the president has certainly been trying to show that he has beat the virus, that he's Fine. They're trying to project confidence. They're trying to uh, to show that the, the the president is fine, even though we don't really know that that's true. The president's physician did release a statement today saying the president no longer had symptoms and that he was doing great. But there is a lot of skepticism given, how, you know, the, the confusion that the, the, over the weekend over how the president was really doing. The president's physician saying one thing, then having to walk it back. Uh, so it's unclear really how the president is doing, but certainly his campaign, his team trying to project confidence. And all of this that the president has said, tweeted or posted on Facebook in direct contradiction to what he told Bob Woodward on tape earlier this year. So the president is at odds with himself. That's a really good point. Uh, so the president, you know, remember it was just a few weeks ago, these uh, it, it tapes came out of the president's uh, interview with uh, Bob Woodward, during which the president admitted, you know, in his own words, that he was purposefully downplaying the virus, that it's what a leader does, that, that they need to keep the calm. And he also said that he knew, he was aware that his uh, health experts had told him that COVID-19 was worse than even your most strenuous flus. That that was an exact quote. So the president clearly telling Bob Woodward he knew COVID-19 was worse than the flu. And today on Twitter, trying to uh, compare it to the flu, trying to downplay the virus, as he told Bob Woodward, seeming it seems that he is you know, downplaying the virus on purpose. That's ABC's Inez de la Quetera. But it's not just the president that's infected. The White House is now in the midst of a full-blown outbreak of COVID-19, and the disease has sidelined the military's top brass, with most, if not all of them, now under quarantine. For more on that part of the story, I'm joined by ABC's Louis Martinez at the Pentagon. 
this this precautionary or did someone test positive other than the president? Um, yes. Well, this is all prompted by a positive test by the vice commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, he uh, met with the other senior military officials at the Pentagon on Friday, um, and uh, he tested positive yesterday. Uh, once that positive test came back, the other senior military officers were notified, and they all went into quarantine. Uh, they have all been tested, and so far they have all come back negative for COVID and are not experiencing any symptoms. So what does this mean for the Pentagon? I can't imagine it's operating anywhere close to normal. You know, the Pentagon has been under uh, strict orders for the last six months, seven months that the pandemic has been underway. Um, maybe only 20% of uh, the staffing is actually working full-time at the Pentagon. Most people are teleworking, um, but the nation's senior military officers have routinely been working from uh, the office. Now, this isn't to say that they can't telework as well. Um, we know that one of these officers, the, uh, the chief, naval, chief of naval operations, uh, he's been working from home quite a bit over the last month or so after he had a surgery. And the White House has become a hot spot for COVID-19. Do we get a sense of that's where this uh, individual, the second in command of the Coast Guard, tested positive or, or uh, picked up the virus? You know, that's an interesting question because, um, you know, the contact tracing to try to figure out where a someone contracted the virus is very important. Um, and in this case, what we do know is that there was uh, the, the nation's senior military leaders, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, were all present for a Gold Star family event at the White House on Sunday. Uh, this was the day after the uh, Andy Coney Barrett uh, nomination ceremony in the Rose Garden. Well, this was inside in the East Room of the White House, and the nation's military leaders were there present along with Gold Star families. Um, and prior to going into that event, they were all tested and they were all tested negative. Now, the vice commandant of the Coast Guard was one, was not one of the, actually, he was one of the individuals who was there for that uh, event. Um, and then five days later, he met with the Joint Chiefs at the Pentagon. Now, I have been told that he tested negative on the Thursday prior to that meeting. But again, reminder, that test just proves uh, whether you have the virus at that moment in time. You may be uh, incubating the virus, and the, uh, but uh, not to n enough of a level where it can be measured by a COVID test. So what challenges does this pose for the Pentagon and the military with their top brass all working from home or quarantined? You know, they're going to downplay it that, uh, you know, the nation's military continues to operate, um, but there's no escaping the fact that uh, the visuals here are just not good. Um, you, you have these officers who uh, represent, you know, they're in charge of all the military services around the world. Um, they are the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is the president's top military advisor. Um, sure, I'm sure they were operating virtually, um, but it's just the headline, Jeff. The headline that the nation's top military officers are under quarantine is just not the signal. Um, it's going to be upsetting to some people, um, and it's going to be, uh, no matter what they say, it's going to be raising concerns, I think, uh, around the national security establishment. That's ABC's Louis Martinez at the Pentagon. Closer to home, Seattle no longer has a way to remove illegal homeless encampments. And joining me now is Como's Matt Markovich and the new budget. Let's start there because there's a lot to unpack here. The 2021 budget proposed by the mayor has been unveiled. And what everyone seems to be looking at 
is this effort to defund the police. City Council obviously wanted significant cuts. Uh, protesters wanted even greater cuts. The mayor didn't really give it to him. Nope, no 50% defunding of SPD, not even close. In fact, the in the mayor's proposal, uh, her cuts basically represent what she proposed back in July, which is about $20 million reduction of uh, personnel and overtime. Those are the actual hard costs to deal with officers, sworn officers and civilian personnel. And then she had uh, several million dollars worth of movements, I'll call it, where she had the 911 center, which is a big chunk of of the uh, SBD budget uh, under uh, the 911 center was under the SBD budget, but now it's going to be moved to a civilian oversight. Uh, things like the traffic um, parking enforcement, which was under SBD, will now be moved to SDOT. That's the proposal. So a lot of these movements out of the SBD budget, which includes jobs. So when you look at all tallied up, it looks like there is a big defunding of SBD. Which is being spent in other departments. It's being moved to other departments. So, And you have a reduction, plan reduction of 345 people. Well, it's all broken apart. You know, there's basically it comes down to maybe about 70 sworn officers, which could be gone by, through attrition over the next year or some layoffs. And the mayor announced that she will pursue, according to city council wishes, uh, laying off of up to 70 officers this year out of order. Now, there was a big contention about whether you can do that, Chief Best and the mayor saying, you're not, we, we can't uh, lay off officers out of order, meaning that the first hire or last hired, first fired, which is normally, and it's a normal situation. Um, that's the way it's supposed to go, but the city council believes you can do it out of order. So, the bottom line on that part is that has to be a separate negotiation with the Seattle Police Officers Guild, SPOG, separate from even the negotiation that's supposed to happen on a new contract because the SPOG contract ends at the end of the year. They haven't even started that negotiation. So they're going to have to do two negotiations fairly quickly here, uh, one on just the out-of-order layoffs, which may never happen this year, and a whole new contract for next year going forward. Who, who does that benefit more when when the negotiations are pushed right up to the to the limit because you've got, as you said, the contract ending the first of the year. The city council's got to deal with the, the 2021 budget. That's got to get passed. Is there any side that benefits more, SPOG or, or the city council here, from the deadline coming up so quickly? I don't think there's any side that's benefits, but you have a whole nother layer called this consent decree. So you have a federal judge that has to oversee all of this, not just the SPOG new contract, but all the changes with SBD, because we're still under this order that you have to do XYZ. It goes back to 2012. Um, judge Robart has almost like the kind of a kingsmanship. He has the final say whether he approves of anything that happens with SBD. So you have a lot of things happening. And in a, to negotiate, it's not like the city council goes in with negotiates with Spock. The city council and the mayor's office are part of a labor relations committee. They have to meet, formulate a plan, and then the two sides, if you want to call it two sides, the mayor and the council, walk in and say, this is our plan for, for you, Spog. 
Um, and they can't even, the mayor and the, and the council can't even agree on what Spog should be doing. So a lot of chaos, uh, at, well, for want of a better term, at Seattle City Hall over how to handle the next uh, budget and, and the next contract with Spog. But uh, speaking of, of the budget and the fights at City Hall between the mayor and city council, they seem to be at odds over dealing with the homeless crisis as they have been since it was declared under Mayor Murray. Yeah, we're talking five years now under a homeless crisis. Um, you, it's, that's all even up to debate right there. Yeah. Right? If it's a crisis, how can we we're still having more and more tents in the city? Uh, so this year, Mayor Durkin is proposing a record amount of spending for the homeless in Seattle, $152 million. Uh, it was $120 million and it was raised last year. So we keep on raising this tally, yet as you can see if you drive around Seattle, the visible tents are in parks now. They're on sidewalks. That's just the visible homeless. Anecdotally, they seem to be going up as opposed to going down. Yes, and um, and you have COVID, and then you have people in hotels. So what was the strategy on the mayor this time? Well, council wanted to see a new strategy because it, well, obviously every year it seems like it's not working. This year the mayor is talking about moving people into hotels. That's kind of one of the linchpins of her strategy. Well, King County was working on that too, weren't they? Well, King County right now there's roughly about 650 people in hotels because of COVID. Uh, they couldn't be in congregate shelters where people are jammed into one room like bunk beds. They couldn't allow that. So they put people in hotels. Um, 650 people are in hotels right now, put in by the city and the county. Um, so the mayor is proposing to spend almost $16 million, mostly in federal money, for 500 hotel rooms for 10 months so people can access more hotel rooms as we're still going to uh, go through this COVID period. Again, that, that money is basically federal money and runs out. Well, the council said, yeah, that's a great idea. I think we should start pursuing the idea of buying hotels. And that kind of falls in line with the mayor's strategy, Not maybe not so much purchasing, that's what the council wants, but the mayor has put, kind of put a hold on tiny house villages. Last year, we there was an approved expansion of tiny house villages. Well, we only have, uh, I believe, nine operating officially under the city of Seattle. There's other ones, but uh, under the city of Seattle. And that's the cap right now. They're not planning on expanding that. Rather, taking some of that money and then moving it to this hotel strategy, which could be which is only going to go for 10 months until the federal money runs out, or if they start moving some funds around, maybe buying hotels which are at a discounted price right now because nobody's, sell, nobody's staying in them and landlords want to get rid of them. So King County was kind of leading on the edge of this. Now it seems the city council is kind of jumping on board, or, or the city of Seattle, I should say. Yeah, well, because it's, it's cheaper... Uh, single room spaces that are already available that might be available at a discounted price because hotels are taking it in the shorts right now because of COVID. And they're worried that even even apartment buildings that are kind of halfway hotels, um, uh, rapid housing hotels, uh, are, are looking at maybe I can't sustain this. I'm not getting enough revenue. I'm going to have to sell my building. And so there's a there's a marketing there's a there's a chance there to pick up a hotel fairly cheap. The challenge is getting them off the streets and into these hotels or whatever programs to help them. And now we're hearing a fight over whether or not homeless encampments should be swept. What's going on there? Well, that's the navigation team. So a little history of the navigation team is that team that started three and a half years ago, made up of SPD officers and outreach workers that the intent was to get people off the streets and into housing. Well, 
the council has always criticized, especially Council Member Sawant, that the S- the navigation team was nothing but a sweep operation. That was their main intent with the SBD officers. So late this year, the city council defunded the SBD. Uh, this week, the mayor took action and executed the idea of the city council and actually killed the navigation team as we know it. No outreach workers that are part of the Human Services Department, as well as the SBD officers. So that left that leaves us at this moment with nobody officially to remove any camps in the city of Seattle. SBD has officially said, we're not in the business of removing camps, and we're not going to do that. We're after criminal activity. They'll still go into camps and pursue criminal activity in that. that that'll that continue. But the actual act of removing a camp, because it's a camp, and maybe even pose a safety hazard, not even a if it's a really bad hazard, yeah, they'll maybe go in. But if it's a, just some of these camps that are just existing and growing, they're not going to go in and remove them. The SBD has said that. So, but but w- even if if these some of these non-city sanctioned encampments that are on city right of way, they don't have permits. Those are illegal encampments. So why not enforce the law? What's what's the argument? Well, there? that's all COVID. The argument is that uh, we don't have enough shelter space to put everybody in, and. We do have some congregate shelter space, but we can't do it because of COVID. And the CDC, and this is where the city's hanging its hat, CDC has said, uh, let camps exist because people can shelter in their tents. Uh, and that's where the city is. That's what the city's policy is right now. And that's indefinite until this COVID rem- goes away. And h- hence the need for purchasing, say, hotel uh, buildings or yeah. apartment buildings. Then each would have their individual space. Yeah. So there's a confrontation in Friday's meeting with the HSE director and council members, as well as the deputy mayor, about whether or not this money, part of this $152 million that's going to be spent on homelessness, whether that's actually going to fund cleanups by SBD officers. Because the mayor's reimagining of the navigation team is basically a smaller squad of city workers that goes out and does outreach with no full-time SBD officers. But, if need be, you can call on the SBD officers to help them if you know maybe remove a camp if necessary so when they pin down uh the deputy mayor today on whether or not city funds will be spent on clearing camps namely for sbd doing it he punted and said well we're still in negotiations between all the departments and sbd whether that'll happen well i can't imagine the city council would go for that because the city council has made it very clear they're opposed to getting rid of homeless encampments yes well and and well especially sbd doing that now they're they're not opposed to getting people off the street and getting them out of camps. I mean, they 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 speak very highly of the, the ability of the successes of the city to do that. And the city has had successes of doing that. Just not the volume that's needed right now. And the housing is so still in su- such short supply, you're still going to see people in the camps. So, and now there's no process to actually clear a camp if it's a really a problematic camp. Um, it's the only process is to go in and individually pull out people who may be uh, accused of crimes and trying to eliminate that element. That's why SBD will go in there. But And then the outreach workers trying to get them out of camps, and a lot of them don't want to do it. And you have the same old cycle we've had for a long time. All of this in a, a fight over the budget and what gets funded in the next fiscal year starting in 2021. So where do things go next in this battle between the mayor's office and the city council? Well, as, as, as the old war saying, this is just the first salvo. This is opening day, This is however you wanted to phrase it, uh, of a five-week process where in the near the end of November, the city council will eventually decide 
with their own ideas added to the budget or and mayor's ideas taken out, what they think the budget should be, and then you have the back and forth between the mayor and the council uh, on finally trying to approve a budget before Thanksgiving. And that's the target. Uh, so you're going to have a lot of things going back and forth between both sides. There's going to be a lot of argument. I think if we saw that the 2020 rebalancing package, which had a lot of arguments just a, a couple weeks ago, mm. this is going to be on steroids. Uh, this is going to be a lot worse. All right, Matt Markovich, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Jeff Pogel, and that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Como News This Week, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and our hourly news updates. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.